You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, welcome to a Brooklyn Nets edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. It'll be a little bit of an instant reaction to Nets Warriors, even though what a freaking waste of time that was. A lot of talk of the Nets' dramatic victory against the Denver Nuggets, a state of where the Nets are right now, if I actually believe this is a good basketball team, and a couple of thoughts on the Jimmy Butler trade. The Jimmy Butler trade broke at about 12.45, 12.50, so I had about three or four minutes to talk about it on the Saturday show I did. And I mentioned on the Saturday show, hey, I'll come on, I'll do an instant reaction to Nets Warriors. I ain't going to lie to you. It's not really an instant reaction because the game is still going on. Right now, I decided with about five minutes to go in this game and the Nets down by 23, you know what? I think I could take this for granted. I think I could start talking about the Nets Warrior game. Let me start with that and then I'll move backwards to the Nugget game because as bad as this game has been tonight against Golden State and it has had its frustrations mostly in the first half and a little bit over the first five minutes of the third quarter, I still do have a good vibe from the win Friday night against Denver. I do. Even though this game against the Warriors was just a a wet slap in the face. It wasn't a dry slap in the face. It was a wet slap in the face. And, and for a few reasons. You know, with Steph Curry out, with Draymond Green out, to a lesser degree with Sean Livingston out, you see an opportunity. You see an opportunity of, you know, hey, hey maybe, maybe they can steal this. But the Nets like most teams in this league, but the Nets specifically over the last few years, they have been dog crap on back-to-backs, especially on back-to-backs on the road. And they fly from Denver. They go to Oakland. I get it. This has not been <laughs> this has not been their strength. But I think what made this frustrating is if you look at the beginning of this game, the Nets came out, they're hitting their shots. D'Angelo Russell gets off to a quick start, and not just offensively, but defensively, and that's one of the positives. I actually found two positives from this game, and one of them is D'Angelo Russell's defense. He actually has, over the last few games, had a lot of intensity on that side of the ball. It's weird how Kenny Atkinson almost tries to cool him off with his rotation, but I thought that was one positive early. And the other is Joe Harris. I mean, Joe freaking Harris has been ridiculous. Whether Whatever nickname you want to give him, the Lumberjack, uh, Joe Dirt, Joe whatever, uh, I don't really care. The guy has morphed into a hell of a player. He really has. And it's more than just drilling the three at a crazy high rate. It's the fact he can rebound. It's the fact he can take to the basket. He really can do everything. The only thing that cooled him off in the first half was that he got in foul trouble. And so Kenny pulls him with that three fouls, I'd say at about the five or six-minute mark of the second quarter, and that's what cooled him off. But what really killed the Nets early 
was the fact that the Warriors in general couldn't miss a shot. And you get it when it's Kevin Durant, and it was Kevin Durant. But what was the killer was Quinn Cook. I mean, Quinn Cook was Steph Curry. You know, what the hell's the difference that Steph Curry's out when Cook is making seven of his first seven shots? I think, and I could be wrong about this, I could be off by a shot or two, I think the first shot Quinn Cook missed was in the second half of this game, and I think it was this wide-open three that they gave him. And that's what he finally missed. So he was just kicking their ass. I thought the other missed opportunity early is Kevin Durant plays the entire first quarter. Start of the second quarter, Kerr puts him on the bench, and without Steph Curry playing, this is an opportunity. Klay Thompson was, you know, on and off at times. He actually had one sequence where he missed a couple of free throws, but then he started hitting a lot of mid-range jump shots. I thought that was their chance to kind of get back into this with Durant out, and they never really took advantage of it. And that run in the second quarter, I think it was a 21-9 run, kind of put them out of reach. They closed the first half badly. And they had opportunities early in that second quarter with Kevin Durant on the bench. I think the Joe Harris foul trouble was an absolute killer. And they just couldn't stop him. I mean, the Warriors shot 65%, 64% in the first half of this game. So even though they go into the breakdown 12 and you feel like it's over, the other moment that killed him was early in the third quarter of this game when the Warriors were missing shots, the Nets were actually getting stops, and they missed so many open looks, led by Captain Miss Open Look, Alan Crabb, who, you know, he's going to get his minutes, and Kenny has kept him in through garbage time, probably just looking for him to get his shot straight. But Alan Crabb is a disaster right now. And I'm not even, I'm not even talking about his stupid contract, because who cares about that? It's not even that. It's the fact he can't hit a shot right now, and he's also turning the ball over, and he's made mistakes on defense. He had three turnovers in this game. How many field goals did he have in this game? One? So he's turning the ball over more than he's hitting shots. So he's been awful. The other guy that was awful in this game was Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I mean, what the hell happened to him? There's no reason to put him back in the starting lineup the way he's been playing. On the other side, though, Jared Dudley sucked too. There was one moment in this game in which if I'm Kenny Atkinson, I'm calling a timeout, I'm dragging Dudley's ass off the court where he telegraphed the pass in one of the worst ways possible. And I think he had an open look at the basket, too. And it was just a sloppy, sloppy play. So he sucked. Jared Allen was, you know, you know what Jared Allen was tonight? He was inconsequential. That's how I would describe his performance. Very just irrelevant. Dinwiddie was Dinwiddie. You know, he's getting to the basket. He's aggressive. I like that Dinwiddie. I like when he's aggressive and he attacks the basket. And he's very creative off the glass too but overall it just sucked you know it just sucked and Mike Biseglio who's the producer of Moose and Taz a big net fan and we text sometimes throughout these games he did make a fairly good point and that was luckily they played the Warriors because the truth is after that win Friday night with the net struggles on back-to-backs they're probably losing this game to whomever they play. So if it's the Warriors, get it out of the way. They're the defending NBA champions. You're probably not beating the Warriors anyway, so play them on a back-to-back. And by the way, Russell cooled off after his really hot start. Joe Harris, I can't even say Joe Harris cooled off. It's just that Joe Harris didn't play a lot. 
because of the foul trouble he ran into. So it was just all the way around. It was bad. I mean, hey, look at the bright side. Kenneth Farid got some burn because they were getting their asses kicked by so bad in the fourth quarter. Even Shabazz Napier got into it. Napier being out of the rotation to me is kind of weird. And he is out of the rotation. I know he ends up getting a good chunk of minutes in this Warrior game, but he got it once things got out of reach. That's when Napier really started to get his minutes. He got it once the game kind of fell out of whack. What do I learn from the Nets' loss to the Warriors? Eh, Nothing. Not really anything. I think if they were playing a more beatable team off a back-to-back, maybe I'd be more depressed by losing this game after the Denver game. But they're the Warriors. Even without Steph Curry, they're the Warriors. I mean, you're still dealing with a team that has Kevin Durant and uh, Clay Thompson. And then, of course, their bench just beat the crap out of them. Not really their bench, just Quinn Cook. I mean, Quinn, Quinn Cook had the game of his life in this game. Uh, but let's talk about things that should make you... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Before I get to any positive, the biggest negative that probably could supersede everything I just said about this game was Karis LeVert. So Karis LeVert, who's the hero of the Denver game, doesn't do much in this game. He was aggressive. He had one move on isolation that reminded me of the game-winning shot. He got to the line a couple of times, but did very, very little in the 20 minutes he plays. And then early in the third quarter gets hurt. And the Nets quickly had to foul. It looked like it was a knee issue. And so I'm nervous now throughout the third quarter saying, how how freaking serious is this? The one positive I saw is he didn't go to the locker room. The second positive I saw is he was coming back into the game. He was by the scorer's table, and this was probably, man, I'd say early fourth quarter. And the game game felt out of reach. They're down by 20. And I had two reactions when I saw Levert by the scorer's table. Reaction number one is, hey, that's great. He's coming back in the game. That's a positive sign. But then the other thought I had is, why the hell are you bringing him into this game? They're down by 20 to the Warriors in the fourth quarter. They're not coming back. Like, why F around? Make sure the guy's healthy. You've got to play Monday night in Minnesota. You know, what are we doing here? So I'm sure more may come out as you're listening to this podcast or probably before you're listening to the podcast. You may know more information than I do as I watch the Nets close out their loss to the Golden State Warriors. But... That could be the ultimate pall over everything if Levert is hurt because that's where we go to this Denver game. There were two things besides the obvious victory that got me really excited about this win over the Nuggets on Friday night, a game that you go into not expecting to win. A, the Nuggets are off to a great start. B, Nikola Jokic is a matchup nightmare for the Nets, which lived to its lived to its hype with the performance he had, and you knew he was going to have a bounce-back performance. He had not played well over the last few games. I think his last performance was a one-shot, two-shot performance, whatever it was. So the Jokic factor, the Nuggets were a good team factor. Playing in Denver is always, always difficult, and we were going to learn a lot about this basketball team. So this didn't feel like a game the Nets were ever capable of winning. They come out and play... Great right at the top. They almost tease you a little bit. You know, Jared Allen has the four blocks. And I mentioned the effort on defense from D'Angelo Russell a little bit in this Warrior game. 
Same thing in the Nugget game. He had two steals in this game early on, and they got off to a great, great start. The problem was they let them back in the game. The Dinwiddie half-court buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter was great because the Nets had this awful third quarter for about, uh, I'd say, 75% of it, but then they ended the third quarter on this great run, and it felt like, all right, we got ourselves a basketball game. And it was back and forth over the last five minutes. They fall behind, I think they were down by four, with about a minute to go. And that was right after this horrible sequence where Jared Allen gets blocked by Jokic, Murray hit a jump shot. It just felt like a loss. It felt like, all right, they battled. This is just going to end up as an L. And that final minute was great. Dean Witte attacks the basket and gets to the line. Murray missed a jump shot. Lavert set up Allen beautifully. I think it was on a pick and roll for an easy dunk to tie the game with 30 seconds to go. And then the Jokic travel. Great defense forcing the Jokic travel, setting up Karis Lavert for the game winner. And this was the other super positive you take out of this, and that's do they have themselves a closer? You know, before this season started, we had Lavert on. I think I've mentioned this before. And I asked him, I said, can, can you be the freaking closer? Last year it was Dinwiddie at times. Early in the year it was D'Angelo Russell. If you're going to be a good team in this league, late in the game, you'll want to be able to put the ball in the hands of somebody that you could trust. And for the second time this season, obviously the home opener against the Knicks, he did it. But for the second time this season, they put the ball in the hands of Karis LeVert. They ran in isolation. He brought the clock down about five seconds before he attacked, and that was the right play. The one thing you couldn't have happen is you couldn't give the Nuggets a chance to win this game. You couldn't give them enough time to win this game. So I completely agree with it. If I'm down a point or two, I do it a little bit differently. I attack earlier. I give myself a second chance opportunity. You know, worst case scenario, I could always foul, get the ball back, though that's Cat's probably out of the barn at that point. But in a tie game, on the road like that, there is no doubt. I am not giving the Nuggets the basketball back. And where Levert, and I think this is Levert's ability that brought this on, is the fact that Harris went for the steal. He was very, very aggressive in going for the steal. Levert drives to the basket. Obviously, it's that shot with a half a second to go, or three-tenths of a second to go. And here's the underrated thing. I didn't bring this up on the Saturday show, but I'll bring it up now. How do you leave? Who took the last shot? Was it Gary Harris, I think, or Murray? Whoever took the last shot, I forget. How do you give such a good look with three-tenths of a second to go? I couldn't believe that. When there is so little time left in the game, and really you've got time to just inbound and, and heave it up as fast as possible, how do you just stand there and give such a good look? And it was. It was at, you know who actually took the shot? It was Beasley who took the shot. I looked it up. I wanted to confirm who the hell it was. I forgot who it was. It was not Gary Harris who did nothing in this game. He was awful. I mean, really, the, the part of the reason why they won the game is they did such a great job against that backcourt. Jamal Murray didn't shoot the basketball well. Gary Harris didn't shoot the basketball well. Beasley actually had a pretty good game off the bench, Malik Beasley. 
And they gave him such a freaking good look. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? If this goes in, if he hits a game-winning buzzer beater three with three-tenths of a second to go, I mean, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. But that win was so encouraging for many reasons because what they've done this season, the Nets, so far, if you remember a few podcasts ago, if you've listened to a few of these net version of the podcasts, I did a little old Mike and the Mad Dog trick. Went through the schedule, looked at, hey, this is going to be a win, or at least what should be a win. This is going to be a loss. And everything, for the most part, had gone the way you expected. The one difference was losing to the Knicks at Madison Square Garden and then either beating the Sixers or beating the Pistons because I thought they'd go one and two in the three games at home. And they ended up beating Detroit, that crazy overtime game. They took care of the Sixers, rightfully so. Philly was coming off a back-to-back. They lost the Rocket game, which actually felt winnable in Brooklyn. And, you know, they obviously lost the Nick game, which was bad. Not only because they lost it, but they they just got destroyed in the game. They weren't competitive. But for the most part, they went into this trip with things the way you pretty much thought it. And the way I looked at this trip was, all right, you're playing a terrible Phoenix Sun team to start, take care of business, beat them, you're probably losing to the Nuggets and Warriors, and then take care of a Timberwolves team that's in flux. And the T-Wolves are sort of still in flux because when the Nets play them on Monday, I don't know if Covington and Saric are going to play. And even if they are, they got to fit themselves in. I don't think that's going to be immediate comfortableness with those two guys being added to what is a quality roster that has just gotten off to a bad start, mainly because this whole Butler thing has probably been a cloud over the franchise. So that's a game where, you know, I don't want to say you have to win that game, but it would be nice to win that game, and you could get yourself a 2-2 two and two road trip before you head back to Brooklyn to play Miami. The problem is now that you beat Denver, Forget this Warrior game. I've already forgotten about it. It's a final, by the way. So I didn't come on to do an instant reaction to Nets Warriors and then have the entire game change, which would have been great. I mean, that would have been a lot of fun. If, you know, I'm recording this down 20 with five minutes to go and all of a sudden they go on a great run and it becomes an exciting game and they win. That was never going to happen. But they're 2-1 on this trip. Now you got to beat Minnesota or else the trip, you know, it feels like a disappointment. You know, the Denver game will feel like 10 years ago if they go to Minnesota and lose on Monday night. But what I said to a guy at work the other day, he asked me, he was a Net fan, is a Net fan, said, is this a good team? Like, what do you think? At the beginning of their year, my prediction on this team was 34, 35 wins, which is not enough to make the playoffs, by the way. You know, I think if you got, you want to make the playoffs, it's probably got to be in the low 40s, but maybe the high 30s. 35 is not getting you in. And I want more than 35. I'm not sitting here trying to tank. I mean, what's tanking going to do? They're not bad enough to tank. You know, say what you want about this team. They're not going to be in the bottom five. They're too talented for that. So if they're not going to be in the bottom five, what the hell are we doing? Then win games, make the playoffs. Let's surprise everybody. But my answer to is this a good basketball team is, hey, we're going to find out. When they play better teams like Denver on the road, like Golden State on the road, like even Minnesota on the road, we're going to get a better idea of what this team is. The Denver game makes me think, hey, this is not a bad basketball team. But we've got a lot 
to learn as time goes on. This team has issues. Number one, the power forward position is a disaster. Jared Dudley is what he is. Okay? He's a good dude. The media loves him. He'll give you a great quote. He's a leader. He'll go on Twitter after games and break things down. But there are times in which you'll want to rip your hair out that Jared Dudley's on the floor. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson doesn't feel like a power forward in this league, and since he's come back from his injury, he hasn't been great. Ed Davis has been great. He has been the perfect backup center for Jared Allen, and I don't know if Kenny Atkinson is ever going to try the two bigs on the floor at the same time. I don't even know how that would look. I don't know if it would necessarily look that well, but the power forward position is a problem. What is D'Angelo Russell? I think there have been a lot of positives from Russell. And remember, it wasn't that long ago when this dude was being benched in the fourth quarter of games. And what I tell myself, what I remind myself about Russell, is how young he is. Is that he's still growing as a player, even though the Nets are going to have to make a decision on him at the end of the season. Karis LeVert, despite what happened in this Warrior game, and hopefully he's healthy, feels like he's blossoming into, I don't know if it's a star, but a really good player. A guy that can that you can certainly look at as one of the building blocks of this team over the next few years. There's a lot of flux and potential with this roster over the next few years, and I think the development you're seeing already in year three from Karis LeVert is incredibly encouraging. He's playing with a confidence... He's improved his game, and I think he has certainly taken over as the closer for this team. So there's a lot to feel good about, especially after this win against the Denver Nuggets. Some thoughts on the Jimmy Butler trade. Jimmy Butler put the Timberwolves in an awful situation. You know, it, it cannot be a good spot when you have a roster, you have this star player who's announced to the world, I want out, and that's bad enough. And it's even worse when it's a good team. And the Timberwolves were a good team last year. Are they as good as the Warriors? No. But they have potential to get even better and better because of guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins where the sky's the limit, especially with Towns. And so you've got this good roster. And right before the season, this guy says, get me the hell out. And as bad as that is, he's made it worse by deciding, eh, I don't want to play tonight. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm a little sore. I'm not going to play tonight. And he really forced their hand. That's why the Timberwolves had to find a deal. And when you look at what they got back, I think we need to learn a couple of things from the last couple of years. The Paul George trade and the Jimmy Butler trade. Not this one, the previous one. And that's on the surface, you say, oh, you're never getting equal value for a star player. Yet those two trades have turned out to be really good for the team that was trading the star. Victor Oladipo has obviously blossomed into something incredibly special from the Paul George trade. And he wasn't even the only guy in that deal. And Zach Levine, now that he's healthy, and even Laurie Markkinen, let's not forget him because he's been banged up. Those two trades have looked so great and so different from the time that they were made. The reason why I stand by my initial thought on this deal is that Covington and Sarich, while not stars, 
were good players for this Philadelphia team and not a part of their problem on why they couldn't beat the Boston Celtics. I think a part of the problem for Philadelphia is that one of their best players, look, Joel Embiid's their best player. The second best player can't hit a freaking jump shot. And we play in a time in which floor spacing is so important, hitting the three is so important, and they have a backcourt. If you want to include Markel Fultz as part of their future, and I certainly think they still believe in him, even though he looks like he is a mess and confused, they got two guards that can't hit jump shots. So I don't think Jimmy Butler coming here is going to solve Philadelphia's problems, and I think you've got to wonder about the man. You know, he's going to sign a contract extension, great. Okay, you're going to max out Jimmy Butler. First of all, I think Butler is the kind of player that's not going to age gracefully. He's played a ton of minutes. He's a grinded-out kind of guy. And at 32-33, I don't know what he's going to look like. And I know that Philadelphia has the the ability to sign a max free agent at the end of the year, even still. Are you getting one, though? That's the problem the Nets, the Knicks, the Clippers, everybody runs into. You can give yourself an opportunity to sign a max free agent. Are you going to? Now, Philadelphia, you would think, would be an appealing place to play with the roster that they have. But I don't know if Kawhi Leonard's going to go to Philadelphia. You know, all these teams, again, Nets included, are finding ways to get max cap room. How many max free agents do you think are out there? And how many of them are leaving their teams? And I think Minnesota did well because even though getting back a package from Houston of loaded first-round picks sounds great on the surface, Tom Thibodeau's trying to win. They have Carl Anthony Towns on this roster right now. He is there. You don't know if he's going to be there five years from now. God knows what the landscape of the NBA is going to look like. You're trying to win, and they got back two quality pieces that add to the depth of that team in replacing Jimmy Butler. Robert Covington is a nice player. He can hit the three, can certainly defend. I think that Saric can still grow as a player and get better. And I think if you are looking to still compete and still win, which Minnesota is going to try to do, I kind of like it on their end. But we'll see. I mean, we all try to judge these trades immediately, and sometimes we end up with egg on our face. So we'll see how it turns out. I... Don't love it for Philadelphia. That'd be the way I'd phrase it. Can it work out? Sure, we'll see. We'll see what kind of guy Jimmy Butler is in Philadelphia because he came across like a giant douche in all of this. Let's all be perfectly honest. Uh, I will do another Instant Reaction Net podcast, and I'm going to tell you when I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it Wednesday night, and I'm going to do it while driving home. I did that a couple of times throughout the baseball season. I did it for a Yankee playoff game. Uh, I do it very safely. Okay, I do it very, very safely. All I'm doing is talking into a phone. That's it. I mean, I may have to wait to post. I'm not going to post it while I'm driving, but I will give an instant reaction to the Nets Heat game, which is Wednesday night. I will not do one for the Monday game because the Giants are playing that night. So, you know, watching two games at once makes it a little bit difficult. And I will have my Survivor Series instant reaction after that wrestling pay-per-view right after a week from Sunday. And you never know when else. So I appreciate you listening. And for all 85 Net fans out there, chin up. Nothing embarrassing about losing to the Warriors. This has been another edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. Bye.